Tuesday and welcome to another episode of Crossover Commerce. My name is Ryan Kramer and this is my corner of the internet where I bring in the best and brightest experts in the Amazon and e-commerce space that help share their insights on the most important aspects of selling online. That could be anything from product listings to logistics to sourcing to paying your VAs, but it can also mean how to put keep money in your pocket and even marketing-wise, how to work with different companies out there to help boost conversion rates. That's right. I'm talking about promo codes. I'm talking about any sort of extensions. I'm talking about things that are going to help your business and brand shine, but also tip that, push that customer over the edge to make them convert. Now it's different between Amazon and direct to consumer sites, like on Shopify or own hosted site. We're going to be diving into that today because if you can tell, I'm very, very excited to be diving into this topic today. We're talking how coupon extensions interfere with e-commerce revenue. Not many people think about that. They think uh, as a consumer, I unfortunately, and I'll probably get grilled by our guests by this, but I actually have some of these coupon extensions on my browser. That being said, it's not a bad thing. As a consumer, you might be saving money and passively, right? We might be talking about uh, saving a dollar or two here. You might be working on a cashback site. Uh, so you might get a percentage of that sale. We're going to be talking about how that works, maybe why that's not so great for businesses, why that may not be great for consumers, and really all in the end of the day, uh, diving into coupon extension, uh, uh, basically coupon extensions and how that's interfering with revenue just in general. That being said, before we dive into everything today, Crossover Commerce is presented by Ping Pong Payments. No, not your traditional company, not the traditional name of table tennis company. We are a cross-border solutions company thinking about sending money overseas or any sort of entity to your VAs, to your suppliers or manufacturers, but then also think about if you're selling internationally in different marketplaces, you can be selling on your Shopify store, your Amazon store, your eBay store, wherever it might be around the world. Ping Pong can actually help you repatriate your money back to your local currency and keep more money and not leave it on the table when the world is in such a small margin of error, like in terms of working with small margins, you want to make sure that you make that money work for you and not just leave it out there um, and pay another sort of fee. So check out Ping Pong Payments. Go ahead and click on that link or in the show notes below if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast channel. That being said, I don't want to let my guest wait any longer. She is the VP of Marketing at Clean.io. Her name is Kathleen Booth, and she has been working 13 years in the digital agency world. It was named by Top Rank as one of the 50 most top B2B marketing influencers in 2019. That's amazing. I'm super excited to have her on today. Thank you uh, for joining us on Crossover Commerce, Kathleen Booth. Kathleen, welcome to Crossover Commerce. Thanks so much for having me, Ryan. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. If you can tell, I'm a fan. I'm a fan about the topic, but I'm a fan of what you and your team are doing. Uh, but first of all, where are we where are we quote unquote calling in from? Where are we talking to you from? Where are you based out of uh, to help get our international audience context of uh, where you and your team are located? Yeah, you got it. We are based in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, which is you know, the east coast of the U.S. Um, and currently sweltering through a hot summer day. So I'm excited to be inside in the air conditioning and talking to you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, Marilyn, I've not been to Baltimore or Annapolis. You said you were in Annapolis, uh, but I, I used to live in Virginia on the East Coast. So love the I-95 corridor. Uh, shout out to that. It's it's a pain to get through on a day-to-day -day basis. But uh, East Coast, it never it seems to hit. It always is hot in the summer, but in the winter, uh, you never, you seem like you're in that sweet spot, right? I, winter's still a thing, but it's 
Right yes. when you go a little bit farther south, it's like dicey. It's like no, that's why how to handle. <laughs> that's why I live here in this part of the country because we get four seasons, but none of them is really terrible. So it's a uh, nice, I wish, happy medium. <laughs> I wish it was only four seasons here. It feels like it's seventeen seasons. It's hot <laughs> and then it's cold and then it's oh, it's all over the place. My leaves don't know what to do. They're like dropping in the middle of summer. It, it it's all over the place. But anyways, we're not talking about here to talk about weather. We're talking about you and your business. So fifteen. 15 years in the digital landscape, 12 years or so, uh, in the digital marketing landscape. What, what, what is that background? Like, uh, tell me from the get go, what's who's Kathleen basically. Sure. So, so I have kind of an unusual career journey. I spent the first 10 years of my career working in international development consulting. Um, but I had done an MBA in marketing and part of what I did in my international development was work work was was specifically focused on communications and how you can use strategic communications in different projects around the world. So when I decided to get married and have kids, it was kind of hard to continue traveling all over the world. So right. my husband and I actually started a marketing agency and uh, we had that company for 11 years and grew to be uh, a national agency within the United States. We were one of HubSpot's top partners at the time, uh, very awesome. early in their partner ecosystem. Um, and in 2017, we decided we were ready to sell, sold that company. And then I went in-house at a succession of different companies as head of marketing. I, I tend to come in early stage, uh, probably because I, you know, I, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, and I love helping companies grow. And I love that early stage when you, there's so much work to do and so much opportunity. So um, that's really what brought me to clean.io, which is, you know, we're, we're a young company. We were founded in 2017. Um, and so here again, just trying to come in early and, uh, and take the company to the next level. So what, what's the, what's the mission, if you will, of clean.io? It, it seems like, uh, I mean, you know, if, if I'm looking at it, it's, it feels like something is dirty or something is not right. And I need to clear it up, clean it up. Um, but you're a tech company, so I'm going to assume, assume it's <laughs> tech, right? For a listener yes. out there. Yeah. So, uh, so our mission is to help companies protect their user experience, revenue, and brands by giving them greater control over the third-party code that executes on their websites. So I always like to say, you know, I've been a marketer my whole career. I'm sure lots of folks who listen to your podcast are, are marketers or have marketing experience. We're always told we own our website. And while we legally do own our websites, we really don't have control over a lot of what happens on them because of the nature of the way the modern internet works. Like we build these websites and we build them on a CMS platform or a shopping cart platform. We add apps and plugins. We have script that gets added. There are browser extensions that can execute code on our site. There's so many ways that third-party code comes into our sites that can have a dramatic effect on user experience, which then you know trickles down and can affect revenue, can affect brand reputation. And so we're all about giving website owners back the control so that they are able to really um, manage the user experience and, and, and control their own destinies. Well, I love that perspective of it's not really yours. Like in, in theory, this is what Amazon sellers right go through nowadays. It's, it's not really their platform that they're building on or selling on. It's truly Amazon's marketplace. They just are selling and operating and trying to be efficient in that. Uh, direct to consumer is a little bit more misconceiving, right? Because you can get 
uh, build your website on any sort of platform, BigCommerce, or BigCommerce, Shopify, whatever that might be. But you might think like, this is it. This is I'm going to just drive people's eyeballs to here. Um, they're going to just shop how they're supposed to. But then as you learn all that, there's tools that you have to implement in order to support that, right? Like shopping cart tools, all these different like add-ons in order to help support your growing brand. But then also there's other ones that look out and try to help the consumer quote, save money, which is what we're talking about today, right? So when people talk about e-commerce uh, coupon code extension browsers or anything like that, if someone's like, what, what are you talking about? I have never known such a thing. Like I, I see the, I see the little space and sometimes it's even hidden on websites, right? Yeah. Uh, you have to like click it and it opens it up and it's like, oh, that's where you can place a promo code. I've always been under the assumption, people might be under the assumption like, oh, I don't have anything. That's okay. Or maybe I'll search for something. Why, why is this such an important topic that you're, you're passionate about and clean the IO is, is really working towards? Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you asked. And I loved the distinction that you drew between like an Amazon seller and a D2C company, because, you know, if we made a real world analogy, Amazon sellers, it's like having a stall in somebody else's market, right? right? You you don't own it, you don't control it. Like you get to rent some space there, but you're on somebody else's land versus the D2C retailer who, who has, you know, set out specifically to have a direct relationship with their customers on quote unquote land they own, right? Like they've built their own website. They, they are selling right to the end customer. And that's the foundation of the whole business model. And so anything that gets in between a D2C retailer and their customer is a real problem and a huge, huge frustration for them, right? And so that's that's part of what we're really passionate about. You know, and, and we work with a lot of brands that are on Shopify and I love Shopify's kind of mantra of arming the rebels, right? They talk about that a lot. And, and I think now more than ever, that's so pertinent because we're coming, you know, hopefully coming out of a pandemic. Let's, you know, fingers crossed, knocking yeah, on, knock on, knock on all the wood around me. Right, right exactly. Here, and, and the last, if, the, if there's one thing the last few years have taught us, it's that we really can't take our favorite independent businesses for granted, whether those are restaurants or retailers or what have you, That's because great. so many of them have disappeared in the last few years. And, you know, if we want to live in a world where Amazon is the only place we buy, great. But if we don't, we need to arm those rebels, the rebels being the independent retailers, the D2C brands, the, the e-commerce folks, the folks that have recognized that the future is selling online and are trying to pave that path. And and in arming those rebels, one of the things we need to arm them with is the ability to control what happens on their own website. Um, that seems like a pretty reasonable thing to ask for. Much like if you owned a store, a brick and mortar store, you should have control over who is allowed to come in the front door and what happens once somebody is inside your premises. And so with coupon extensions, you asked specifically about that. You know, I'll start with the brick and mortar analogy. If somebody walked into your store, filled their, you know, shopping cart up with a bunch of things, came to your checkout counter and you rang them up and they were about to hand you their credit card. Imagine if somebody ran in the front door of your store and then handed them a discount coupon right as they were handing you their credit card. They were intending right. to pay full price, but all of a sudden now they're not. And while that feels really good for customers, absolutely. And you alluded to this. It feels great to get a discount to the to the retailer, that person did not need that discount to convert. And that's effectively what shop what uh, e-commerce coupon extensions 
are doing. And, you know, the biggest ones, the ones that everybody has usually heard of are Honey, Capital One Shopping. Um, they're coming in at the last mile of the buyer's journey and offering them discounts that they may or may not have qualified for. So the only other thing I'll explain is that the context I think that we need to have for this conversation is thinking about how the way coupons have been used has evolved. So before the internet, coupons were really a top of funnel marketing tool, meaning right. that they were sent to us in the mail or we found them in our Sunday circular in a newspaper, we cut them out. And the whole idea behind those coupons was to get somebody sitting at home who maybe wasn't thinking they were going to go buy that thing that day or that week to actually decide to do that, right? And so the famous right. examples are the grocery coupons, you know, oh, I didn't need tissues, but they're on sale. I'll get them. Or the Bed, Bath & Beyond coupon that we all got in the mail for many years where I didn't need sheets or towels. 20%, but, yeah. Right, but I'll go because exactly. you never know what I might find and I have this coupon. And so used that way, they were very effective at driving new customers and foot traffic and, and even repeat business. But what has happened is now that we have the internet and all these new possibilities for how we can use coupons digitally, the, the way that marketers use coupons has changed considerably. So yes, we still use them top of funnel by, you know, doing advertisements, uh, display ads with, with coupons. We, we use emails, but they're also used outside of the top of the funnel. Once people are on websites to try to get them to put things in a shopping cart or to try to get them to increase the value of what they're purchasing to qualify for free shipping. Um, or to come back when they've abandoned their cart. Um, they're also used to reward, you know, VIP customers. But then there's a whole other category that they're used for, which is, or two other categories. One is affiliate marketing. Right. So we use them to, to drive affiliate business, to draft off of other people's audiences, and then to track the performance of that channel. And then the last category is tracking and attribution. You know, we use them on podcast ads, on display ads with affiliates. And the theory, at least, is that when somebody comes to our site and uses that coupon code, that should be a trustworthy indicator that the they came from the channel where that code was used. Indeed. Now, that's the table setting. Unfortunately, what happens is people may come in through affiliates. They may come in through your podcast ad or what have you. Um, they come to your site, they put things in their cart. And yet when they get to checkout, regardless of whether they've entered a code or they haven't, if they have a coupon extension and it activates, the coupon extension is going to auto eject all of the codes it has until it finds the one with the highest value and it's going to resolve to that. And so if you came in from an affiliate code, but Honey has a more valuable coupon, it's going to replace the code you came in with. If you came in from a Facebook ad and your coupon extension activates, it's going the cookie that it places is going to make it look like the coupon extension drove the business and not the Facebook ad. So all right. of a sudden, and, and I'll wrap up in a second so that you can ask questions, but all of a sudden we have this very murky attribution picture where we don't really know where our sales are coming from. It looks like coupon extensions are driving a lot of business. Um, and then also our average order value is going down because these large volumes of people are using coupons that we didn't intend to give them. Um, and in many cases, they're probably using coupons that they didn't need to use to convert. And so these are sales that would have been full price, 
that now are lower than that. And so the whole calculus behind pricing and discounting kind of gets thrown into a state of disarray. So, right. I mean, there's a lot to unpack there, but the, yeah. it, it's, it's, it's transformed into, and I, I've been lucky enough to actually work in this field for many, many years. And I've seen it evolve over time. Like you said, like, I remember for black Friday, we would have to like literally on the circulars, get out everything to know where you would stand in line at, like where deals were going to be. And that, like you said, drives the foot traffic to these attribution locations, like uh, Best Buy or Walmart, wherever that might be. Nowadays, it's it's coupon sites and deal sites that, hey, at this, at this time, you can actually go apply either a promo code or the deal is only activated during these sets of times. And it's in theory supposed to drive you to those websites and make those points of purchases. But like you said, there's coupon codes extension. I'll even add on Rakuten, who formerly was Ebates, who is, is is big overseas, but now is obviously still the whole cashback mantra. They they hide the extensions for a listener out there who's who's still not understanding. Coupon extensions reward you in different ways. It doesn't have to just be like discounts on that specific uh, website. It can actually be if you have an account and you shop consistently, they're 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 driving or they're preaching. Their mantra is, hey, we drive loyalty to brands direct to consumers. And because customers, we get customers to your website by offering either a cash back or a point system so that they can reward it for any sort of gift card, any sort of check in the mail, which I get every so often, which is really nice in passing. Um, but they do it on a quarterly basis. Now, how do they do that? It's because these brands are paying these businesses to, in theory, drive traffic organically from those websites. Right. Um, and they're giving them a percentage of sale 10%. It could be as high as 75%. It, it really just depends on the industry that you're in and this uh and what you're selling. But they cut that in half and they give that back half of it to the consumer, half of it to they keep it obviously to make revenue uh for their business. So what Kathleen, what you're saying is that in theory, all this stuff should work and keep it in its lanes, but we know that people are smart. They kind of like cut into their other lanes. You said racing cookies, basically like if it's driven from a Facebook ad or driven from an organic sale or email campaign, it's going to literally erase whatever cadences that you set up as that campaign, erase it and say, nope, it's Ebates or Rakuten or it's Capital One, which is the newest one they've established. Capital One is going to be the one that gets the attribution and at a high level as a company, you're like, wow, we should invest more in Capital One and those kinds of things. But it's really the conversion is happening and the drive is from maybe an email campaign. So if I'm listening to this as a consumer, I can think how confusing it is to know truly what's valuable in all these assets. Is that fair to say? Yeah, it's really it's really a mess. <laughs> um, and And what's scary about it is that um, for e-commerce businesses and for e-commerce marketers, you, you rightfully pointed out that the coupon extensions themselves are affiliates. So there are a lot of merchants that choose to partner with them and they pay them then a, a commission for every sale that they ostensibly drive. And generally the way that companies decide whether to partner with them is they look at what it's already costing them to acquire a new customer. So let's say it costs me $20 to acquire a new customer uh, because, and, and how we calculate that is we add up all of our marketing and sales costs and we divide by the number of new customers we're getting. It's a pretty simple equation, right? That's CAC, um, customer acquisition cost. And if my CAC is $20 and 
Honey or Rakuten or whoever is telling me that, look, for each new purchase, you're going to roughly pay me $15. It seems like a no brainer, correct? And so I would be like, sure, I'll partner with you. The problem is that when, because these extensions pop up at checkout, in the vast majority of cases, the people that are using them were not driven to the site in the first place through the extension. How did they get to your site? Well, if they got there through your Facebook ad or your email campaign or your other, your SMS campaign, your PPC, you know, your Google ads, whatever other channels you have going, there's a cost baked into that. And so when you think about CAC to justify whether a coupon extension is worth partnering with, you really have to consider that if you're already paying $20 through your Facebook ads and everything else to get somebody to your website, and then the coupon extension comes in at that last mile, claims credit, you're paying $20, plus you're paying the commission to the coupon extension, plus you're paying whatever discount on your margin the coupon is giving them. Right. So when you think about that and you think about the margins that many e-commerce retailers run on, you are probably losing money is, is what I would say. And then, and then we have a lot of data, which I can pull into the conversation around like what happens if you prevent coupon extensions, what does that do to your abandonment and conversion rates and AOV? So we can talk about that too, but, but it's a very complicated calculus. And I think if you, if you tend to look at coupon extensions and think that every time they show up in your attribution, they're driving a sale, you're kidding yourself because there are a lot of other things that led to that sale. And the other thing I will note is that they claim credit even if they don't find a, a coupon that works. So yeah. if somebody comes to your site with Honey and they say, yes, Honey, test coupons and Honey tests them and they and Honey doesn't find a coupon that works, it's still going to take credit for that sale. Absolutely. I, I personally like, so there's aspects of both Honey and uh, even Amazon to a point. So I'll even bring Amazon in, not drag its name through the mud, but Amazon has an assistant um, extension which too, if you're not familiar with this, it's a really cool tool. I like it because it, Amazon does the same thing on D2C websites. If it's a similar product or brand, it can say, hey, it's actually being sold on Amazon for this much. And it will pop up on the side if you're scrolling through a website or if you're searching for a specific product, it will actually pop up on your browser and say, this is what Amazon found for um, any sort of products. And it will take you there. Um, I mean, there, there's stuff for good, like Amazon uh, Smile, which is an extension. So if you shop through there, traditionally, tip, technically, if you make a purchase, it's giving them a kickback to a nonprofit that you distinguish for it. I try to do that as much as possible if I'm shopping on Amazon anyways, um, to give, give some sort of kickback to a nonprofit. Very cool. It's not a lot, maybe 1%. Um, but what they do is they also drive the same thing. They will kick a browser. Amazon too has an affiliate program. You see, uh, I notoriously use this example. Buzzfeed is traditionally almost entirely built around affiliate marketing. You see anything of the number of like 22 best Christmas present ideas under $25, super long tailed keyword uh, yeah. title. But then also everything in there is buy it on Amazon, click, that is an affiliate link. So it is literally driving any sort of browser extension or anything like that it is giving attribution to BuzzFeed. Now, that being said, you can also kick that off with, uh, if you kick it over to Amazon Smile, it will 
kill BuzzFeed's attribution and give it over to uh, it, it, they, they can literally cancel each other out back it's and forth, crazy, but it's the same product, same price, nothing changes. It's who gets last, it's called last click attribution, yeah. everyone, and it is super annoying for a marketer and every single person of who actually gets the credit. So, Kathleen, what do you say about like in that regard? Where are we in this world of either how we're fighting it or how do we like wade through all this cross? I call it cross border, cross lane attribution, if you will. You know, I think attribution is an incredible, it can be an incredibly complex topic. You, you've alluded to that, right? It's all of these things touch on last click. I mean, you could use first click, but there's problems with that, you know, and, and there are definitely new tools that are emerging that are really interesting. Like one of the ones that we've worked with and collaborated with is ringside AI that, that gives you a much more robust um, attribution picture. But I, I think the at the end of the day, the only way for you to really know whether it's worth investing in some of these channels is to test turning them on and off, right? Like right. at the end of the day, that's that's pretty black and white. You could do a million complex attribution calculations, but and this is what we've tried to test. But with coupon extensions, for example, if you were able to run a trial, on half of your traffic and say, let's block them, not allow them. And then the other half, let's let them run free and let's see what happens on those two cohorts. That's going to tell you whether it's worth using them or not. And so that's the kind of testing we've been doing. And I mean, what we found is that when you block coupon extensions, you increase average order value by between uh, four and 10%, depending upon obviously the retailer and the size of coupons they're offering. And basically there is no negative impact on conversions or cart abandonment. Now, wow. every case is different, but across the data set we looked at, you know, it, it varied within a tiny band of 1%. Um, and so what we've seen is that you know, and, and obviously we have a product that has to do with this, which we can talk about at some point if we want to. But but what we've seen is when people block coupon extensions, the ROI is is dramatic. It's like something on the order of fifteen hundred percent within thirty to sixty days. Wow, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, that's so. So I guess do people maybe this ask the simple question first before we get into how you do that? Do people even know that? First of all, if I'm a uh, consumer, I would note, rest assured, if you're not creating coupon codes, you don't have to worry about this. Like if you don't have a place for promo codes, you're not offering it, probably not something you have to worry about. It's it's something that it, it could potentially go across border or it actually can effectively down the line. If they say, hey, we can drive more traffic because of this, this is also something very applicable to what we're talking about. Um, maybe like enhancement of conversion, like the, the conversions that you might be quote unquote missing out on. Although being true, is there, if you're not offering coupon codes, maybe not worrying about this as much, but if I am, how do some of these companies get hold of those? And maybe let's even know the fact, how do I even know that an extension has this or how it's affecting my business itself? Like, do I even know, can I operate in a world where these coupon code extensions are affecting my business and I not know about it? Yeah. So this is such an interesting question. So I'll, first I'll answer how they get their codes. I, there's right. really two different ways they get them. One is people submit codes to them. Um, you know, there's the way to just manually submit it. And then the other is, and this is right in their terms of service. 
Um, when you sign up and use these extensions, you're giving them permission to scrape any codes that you manually enter when you visit a website. So if you are a VIP customer for like a you know small independent retailer and they send you a VIP code and you legitimately get it and you go to their website and you type it in at checkout, if you have a coupon extension in your browser, it is going to take that code and give it to everybody. And so that's that's really how they get it. The second question um, that you asked is how would you know you have a problem? And th this, this go speaks to really like how we as marketers keep track of things. And so if you are using coupon codes, you absolutely need to be watching redemption metrics. And you also should really have a single source of truth for every code you've issued. I talk to a lot of retailers who do this and they're using multiple platforms to Sometimes they're like, I didn't even know that code existed. <laughs> so just create a spreadsheet where you enter in right. every code you create and track it. But then my suggestion is at a minimum, you should be looking weekly at your coupon code redemption metrics. And if you see a sudden spike in the number of redemptions and it doesn't correlate with a marketing action you've taken, like let's say you sent out an email campaign or one of your influencers or affiliates posted something. If you can't identify a correlating marketing action that drove that spike, then probably your code has leaked. And what most retailers do at that point is they then start manually having to go out to all these coupon sites. And there are a lot of them. There's like more than 15 um, and hunting down and searching to try to see who has their codes and which codes they have. And then once you find them, then you have to figure out some way to like contact these people. And, and these are big companies, right? Like they don't exactly list their people's phone numbers on their websites. So right. you have to find a way to get in touch with them and send them something and say, please take my code down. And the retailers we have spoken with have had very mixed results with that. Sometimes they're successful. Other times they're told, you know, sorry, we can't help you. Other times they're told, hey, if you join our partner program, which effectively means you're, you're using them as an affiliate and then paying them, then you'll have more control over the codes that we give out. And so it's very, very, very frustrating experience for retailers and extremely time consuming, especially when you consider that you go through this on a weekly basis. And then, you know, the thing is you, you might deprecate the code you issued that leaked, then you issue a new one, but that new one could leak the next week too because of the way the extensions function. So a lot of the retailers we work with have described it as being like, you know, on a hamster wheel where you're spending a couple of hours every week chasing down the same codes over and over and more often than not, not getting a very satisfactory result. That's how the inside of my mind looked when I was de dealing with that for my uh, retailer online uh, direct-to-consumer website. So, but I mean, there, there's so much that I learned from doing all this, right? It, there's there's good in, we, we talked about bad, but there's also good, right? There's There's ways to track all these attributions. You would hope that you can find different ways and uniqueness of it. Uh, for example, my, my tips I always tell people, either make them uh, customized, uh, customized code for one-off people. So if you're sending it to, as a loyalty thing, make it alphanumeric and make a unique code to each individual email that you're sending out. Not only is it easier to see if it's redeemed or not, and you know who's redeeming it because it's tied to email or account, but you can know that if it leaks, there's only one that exists out there and it can just be um, abused and whatnot. So that that's what I found to be successful. And then second, if you are working with a specific uh, extension, my, my favorite company I worked with was Brad's Deals, for example. Um, great organic audience. 
they would do promo codes, but they would also do sales. Um, one in the same, they would, they would actually request in, I know companies do this still is be an exclusive code, which you put like their name in it. For example, if you're working with them, it would be like Brad's deals 15 or Brad's deals, whatever. Um, and that way I would be able to know, like it, it wasn't abused. It's coming straight from that source. I can still attribute it to their model. Um, if it came from any other source and they try to claim that code, I'd be like, nope, you're not getting your commission and that they can't fight it because the code is not theirs. Um, is there any other tips that you would suggest maybe for like combating it? Yeah. I mean, I think that you're spot on that when you can, you should use single use codes. And there are a lot of tools mm -hmm. that have popped up to make that easier. And those work really well for email campaigns and SMS campaigns. Unfortunately, they don't work well for display campaigns, for PPC, um, for affiliate campaigns, for podcast advertising. Like there are still certain use cases where if you want to use them as a marketing channel, you're going to need a general code like you described. And, and so certainly at a minimum, I think if you're, if you're going to be doing these things, you better have a really tight process in place to consistently watch your metrics to catch when this is happening. Um, and then you know, as I described earlier, you can always try and chase the codes down manually. I mean, we obviously have a product we sell that makes it much easier to solve for, but but that might not be right for everybody. And so there are sure. definitely manual things you can do. But the smartest thing is to just, I call it practicing good coupon hygiene, you know, like having that single source of truth for what codes you've created, watching them on a regular basis, and then moving quickly to shut down any codes that have leaked and, and replace them with new ones. Right. I, I guess maybe a good, another good bank tip that you can provide people, Kathleen, is be how much, how often or how much should I have at, at any one given time? Does that make sense? Like how many should I have floating around out there in order to maybe have a wrangle on it all? You know, I wish there was a simple answer to that. Um, I, it, it's it, with most things in marketing, it's an, it depends. Like, I think you should have as many as you need to, to, uh, use the channels that you've chosen effectively, you know, and so larger brands are going to have a lot of different channels activated at the same time. You know, they might be working. And if you have, for example, an ambassador program or an affiliate program, you could have hundreds of affiliates or ambassadors, in which case you need hundreds of different codes. If you're not doing that, you might only need one or two codes because you're doing a podcast ad or a display ad. So it really does depend on the type of marketing you're doing. And so it's, I think it's less about the volume of codes and more about just how tightly you're keeping track of things on the back end. If we're maybe a little bit more advanced as a, a directing consumer brand, would we, would it be behoove us to make customized landing pages that either activate from a specific link or specific URL? Is that something that you can get as intricate as knowing that it'll activate specifically if it comes from any other source, you can't get there. Like it's a hidden route basically to get there and it's only active for a period of time. Yeah, absolutely. I think where you can do that also do it, you know, use tracking URLs, use dedicated landing pages. But again, much like single use codes, there are certain channels, for example, you know, podcast advertising, you could you could say a URL on here, but but odds are it, somebody's going to have a harder time remembering a URL if they hear it audibly than they are knowing, like, just go to clean.io and enter welcome 10. That's not a real right. code, by the way. Don't enter that anywhere. Um, <laughs> Don't do it. But, you know, like, that's easier to remember than me saying go to clean.io slash blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, that's why I think I, I we do have 
customers who've tested that and they've found at the end of the day that offering coupon codes is, is a more effective way for them to drive business. And so it's all about, to me, it's about like not tying the marketer's hands. Like let's let them use the tools and the marketing strategies that are going to produce the best results, but like do it in a way where they don't have to be afraid that their data won't be reliable or that their, you know, margins are going to be hit too hard. That that's what really shouldn't be happening. Absolutely. And I, th and I think at the end of the day, if you, um, if you aren't keeping an eye on this too, like you're, you're just actively throwing stuff out there. You're, you need to rein it back in because ultimately we don't want it to affect people to a point where you're just losing money in per transaction. Like sometimes it's a uh, test campaign where you need to see like, maybe I will lose on some of these products, but at the end of the day, there's lots of cool campaigns that you can put together in order to maybe drive up average order size or uh, to activate free shipping. My favorite, my favorite campaign out there is that I've seen to date creatively is put in your zip code or put in something to see if you qualify for free shipping. Now, the average consumer is like, oh, that's kind of cool. But the marketer, you're like, you sly devil. I see what you're doing there. <laughs> of course, they're probably going to offer free shipping in some way, shape, or form. Probably a code out there. But how you package it also matters the perceived value of what you're getting at any one given time. For example, most sites are set up where you can't use multiple coupon codes. It's you no know, stacking on top of each other. So you would get for free. You can't get free shipping and 50% off one or the other and make sure that your back end talks to itself in that regards. You can't have uh you can't have multiple ones that you put in there. If you do, I want to say like Kohl's maybe does it like you can actually stack all these ridiculous coupons on top of each other. Know that if you happen to get crazy enough, like the the coupon people that you see in the grocery store are like you get your three carts of groceries for a nickel or yeah. something like that. <laughs> the big screen uh, couponers. Exactly. You know people like that might be crazy enough that they, they figure the loophole and there's people that will constantly find the loophole and try to exploit it. it it's given the coupon industry a very bad name for itself. And I know like it, it is bad, but there's a genesis. There's a great nuance to what they do in theory of creating loyalty and whatnot. But ultimately it's just people who want to save money any way, shape or form. Do you have any tips Kathleen that maybe would mask or like create the perception of savings, but also not have to rely on like, deal or coupon sites or promo codes in that regard? Yeah. And, you know, I think it's really important for me to say that we're not anti-coupon code. Right. Um, in fact, I look at this as um, we're, we're protecting the retailer's ability to issue coupon codes. You know, like if we want, right. if we want retailers to be able to continue giving us coupons in the center, we need to give them the ability to control how they're disseminated, right? Otherwise, they're just going to stop issuing them, which is bad for everybody. So I, it's not that we don't want to save people money. Um, but I think given the situation, given the world we currently live in, where coupon extensions have made it difficult to near impossible for retailers to control this, you know, some of the things, obviously, if you can put protection in place, you should, um, you know, something like what we what we offer. But beyond that, um, that's why I think you do see a lot of larger retailers um, offering the, the, the general use codes they offer tend to be codes that they put right on their website homepage and right. they make them visible for everybody. Because it's like, this is the devil we know. We're going to give everybody, you know, 10% off of their purchase and they can work that into their pricing then and make sure they're still making their margins. But 
it, it prevents people from leaving the site and looking for another coupon, right? I mean, that's part of the problem with coupon extensions and promo code boxes is that as soon as they pop up, it alerts people to the possibility that they could exactly. be getting a deal. And so that's why, you know, sometimes they leave the website and they look, they go to the retail me nots or, you know, the other websites of the world where they can search manually for coupon codes and test them. And that's a friction filled process. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can put a code front and center on your site and let people give people the peace of mind that they're already getting a deal before they even put things in their shopping cart, then they're going to stay focused on completing their purchase and not, you know, leave that journey to try to go find some other deal. Like an autofill or like, Hey, like we already put, like we did you a favor. We put you in, put in a promo code for you or something. That's like exactly that. right. Yeah. Where it's right. right on, it's in the hello bar on your website, they click it and it gets immediately applied and then they can shop knowing that they're already going to get that 10% off on everything they put in their cart. Is the best uh, form of trying to quote unquote, get a promo code. Do you think it's always the banner, this, the same banner, if you will, but like, Hey, put in your email and you get an email to 20% off coupon code. You almost in theory, you want to think that that's going to guarantee or have a really high percentage of throughput as a, as a customer or as a, a client, but, or website, I should say, but know that they're going to put in their email address, but you're twofold, right? You're, you're offering the same coupon to everyone, but in return, you're also getting their email address, capturing more data, more ability to like blast out there, trying to get repeat business, things like that. It's almost like the trade-off, if you will, of, all right, if I get you this, you get the, give me this kind of sort of. Is that yeah, I mean, successful? We do see a lot of retailers, a lot. When you first get to their site, you know, that you'll see uh, join our email newsletter list in exchange for some discount. That's a really common one. And that's a really frustrating one for the retailer when that code leaks, because then coupon extensions give everybody the discount and they don't have to sign up for the email newsletter true. list. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, the, and this is true for like every business these days, given what's happening with third-party cookies and, and privacy, all of us, no matter what business we're in, whether it's e-commerce or B2B software or what have you, we should all be thinking about building out what's called zero party data, which is owning our own audiences. And the best way to do that is to get people to opt in to hearing from us and to give that, to give us their email addresses. That's an audience you truly do own, you know, going back to that concept of own versus rent, like we all need to be thinking about that given the direction the world is going with cookies and privacy. Right. What about, um, so in, in that kind of uh, in that sort of celebration of what we're trying to do, what is it that you guys are focused? Like you, I say you guys, um, you're, you and your team, like your vision, what does that look like in the world? You've conceptualized, how do we protect people, but also make it so that the relationship is not, we're, we're putting people back in their lanes, right? Like the marketing channels that they're supposed to operate under that they're truly can work without interference. What is it that you're trying to, it's almost like wrangling people back in. How is Clean.io wrangling everyone into their corners or their lanes respectfully? Yeah, I mean, I think it, the only reason that we exist is that um, companies like the coupon extensions have have made it impossible for retailers, right? They've created a situation where retailers feel like their hands are tied. And so our whole goal is to come in and to restore some balance of power and to say, yes, customers should be able to save money and should be able to use coupons. 
but the retailers that issue those coupons should be able to have control over them. You know, and and I'm and our platform is growing. We're looking at adding other um, to it, but they're all going to revolve around this notion that when you build your website, you should be able to control what happens on it. And so, you know, we're that we're never going to turn back the clock and live in a world where we're not adding third-party code to our sites. You know, if anything, it's just going to get more so. Um, but we should be able to do that in a way where website owners feel the confidence that when they add that code, they're going to be able to control how it affects user experience, brand, and revenue. Amazing. What about, um, yeah, in the world that I think like technology has to, you wanted to work for you, do you have any, as a consumer, are you opting into any sort of other ways to find pricing? I, I think at the end of the day, right? I don't think it's the consumer's fault or the company's fault. I think at the end of the day, people want to know they're not getting ripped off, right? They want to know, I don't want to turn around one day, know I bought my phone for $800 and then know I could have bought it for $750 tomorrow yeah. or down the street or anything like that. People are just like insecure. Like I don't want to spend more money than I have to, but at the end of the day, at the end of the day, maybe we're all cheap and we want to feel like that or <laughs> I mean, it's, it's I, a great it's question. It's perceived value. It's yeah. how, how do how what what ways should can people feel like they can actively find the best price, but not feel like they have to rely on tools like this? So I, that's a, such a good question, and I'll say a couple things. I, I think that you you need to be very aware of what you're opting into when you use these tools. Um, and it's really easy for us in the digital realm to just click the button in the coupon extension and let it run in the background and then just see, oh, I just saved $25, right? Like it's very easy to do that. But if you really start looking at what the extensions are doing, if you look at some of the codes they're attempting, um, I think there are people out there who would think twice about using them. And what I mean by that is like, we see all the coupon codes that get attempted. And I see on the back end of our dashboard, codes like military hero 30, um, coming through and what oh, I pay that attention is to all of them. Like the ones that pop up are surprising and like they try to hide it. And then I click on them just because once you click on it, you activate the cookie. So they don't care, but then it reveals all of them that are available. Yeah. And some of them are like, really, it's really, it's not sad. It's, it's sad, but it's also it, like, you know, for a fact, like as a person, you know who they're targeting. Like, right. It's very with family obvious. and friends or yeah, there's even companies out there who are saying, if you put in, and I, I think it's ID.me, if you've heard of them before, they actually put in military, uh, you get assigned if you're a first responder EMS or something like that, you put in your military information, basically, or your code that you get, or ID you get from them. And they verify all that stuff with national databases from the government, and then they apply that to a code. But then those same information gets abused and is actually put into the same ecosystem, which is so bizarre if you think about the where it's stemming from people. Ha I, yeah, I mean, I, I would story, think you would feel bad, but I could be wrong. The story I always say is like, I would never walk into a restaurant for lunch and say, I'm in the army. Can I have a discount when I am not in the army? Like that's in the real world. That is called stolen valor. And yet we do it online. And that's just one example. I mean, we've seen codes aimed at teachers and healthcare workers. We've seen employee discounts wind up getting into coupon extensions. And so the parallel I would draw is honestly to what happened with Napster many years ago, you know, where mm. I might have legitimately bought digital music and decided I'm going to share it with a friend. Um, 
And it seems very innocuous, like, sure, who doesn't want to get free music? Um, but it's really harming the creators in that case. And the music industry, I think, did a very effective job of educating the general public on why digital piracy was a problem um, and, and why, in the end, it hurts all of us, even though in the short term, it might feel good to not have to spend money on that song you like. Um, it, there's a parallel with coupon extensions in that, you know, it feels good in the short term, <coughs> excuse me, but but it's really hurting all of these merchants. And if we want these merchants to be around in a year, two years, three years, we need to give them the control. They have the right to decide who gets their coupon codes. And I do think that there is a moral ethical dimension to this where we need to think about, you know, is it, is it right for us to use codes that we didn't earn and weren't intended for us? Is it right to, for us to effectively impersonate somebody digitally in order to save money? And what is the impact that that's having on the retailer? So I certainly can't say whether someone should or should not use an extension. I, I don't want to comment on that, but I just think these are all things that we need to think about when we make our own choices. Just know that Kathleen and her team are secretly judging you in the background. Uh, <laughs> no, we're not looking, judging no, I'm anybody. Kidding. No, I'm that's not okay. judging anybody. I mean, we, there's only one you know, place we, we all get judged. No, we just, want consumers just, to win and we want retailers to win. Like that's the thing. It shouldn't right. be this one-sided equation. And it is right now, which is really not fair. Well, and we go back to our original point of where this all stemmed from. It's, it's the act of trying to push people over the top of with the intent to buy. Now I have to buy. Like it's the intent to now I have like, should I to now I have to, what is that? Like, it's a psychological thing too. And this is what I love talking about as a guest on podcast uh, host too, or like on other shows is what is the buyer psychology, right? At the end of the day, we all want to make sure that we're the art of a deal. We want to make sure that, there's perceived value in what we're doing, whether it's it's going to benefit me in the product itself or in the rate at which I obtain that product, whether it's they they give it to me for doing a survey or like they were there was like given a take and I took advantage or I didn't take advantage, but I I gave something in return for this, like my time. That is a big thing. Like you can give time and in return they will pay you for it. You do it all the time in surveys. There has to be a perceived notion of a transaction. What is the transaction? A lot of people think, oh, yeah, I'm still giving them money, like at the end of the day. Yeah, but if it's, again, not intended for you or the special or the deal or the coupon is not for that audience, they know that you have more money that people may not be able to afford it. That's why they're maybe trying to level the playing field. So at the end of the day, we have to know that to in order to grow businesses, we shouldn't actively and maybe potentially unethically take advantage of these kinds of opportunities and these roundabouts and, uh, you know, coupon code extensions is, is, is the title that we're going to be putting this all under to as well. Um, I know we're kind of butting up on time, Kathleen, with that being said, what's kind of the, as we go into Q3 and Q4, this is just prime pickings for, uh, when you're going to start to see deals, uh, more shopping. There's lots of commerce that's happened and growth. What's kind of the exciting thing that kind of gets you motivated? You said you've been around for in the business for a long time. And what's exciting for you going into the rest of this year in early 2022? Oh, I mean, my gosh, what's exciting to me is when I talk to some of the retailers that we're working with and, and, you know, big and small, like we have retailers as large as Caraway Home, 
um, made in cookware, you know, some big, rapidly growing D2C brands. And then we have some really cool smaller ones too. Um, and when I hear them say things like, oh my gosh, for the first time in so long, I feel like I can issue my codes and not have to worry about them. Or I feel like one of our retailers, a company called Road ID, um, they had to, they had put a stop to, to growing their customer ambassador program because they had this code issue. And when when I hear them say something like, "Now that we fixed the code leakage problem, like I they doubled the size of their ambassador program in three months," like that's what gets me excited because we are coming into this crucial time of the year. And if people feel like their hands are tied, they're going to go in at a disadvantage to the most important time of the year, and you don't get those few months back, right? So. Right. For them to be able to go in and have all of the marketing channels available to them, to be able to trust their attribution data, to know that they're going to be not, you know, taking a hit on their AOV like that, it really does get me excited and it makes me feel good because these are brands that are doing really cool things and, and they're the future of retail, a lot of these D2C companies. So we love supporting them. Absolutely. And at the end of the day, this is what I also try to educate people on and you hit it on the head is a lot of these businesses are small businesses, small to medium sized businesses that maybe they do, or maybe they don't even have a storefront somewhere in their, in your town that you might not know that they're also selling on either an Amazon or also on their own website that someone around the world now has access and the ability to, in theory, purchase that product. Um, the ability for technology to grow in that context, we should be supporting that in its efforts to grow naturally and supporting that business, like you had mentioned. Um, but also, and not deeming the fact of technologies all evil and and whatnot. There, there's so much beauty in being able to know that small businesses' products can now get to the other side of the world and maybe help out somebody else, whether their product or service or whatever that might be. So that's really cool. Are you? Um, is there anything that you're seeing like in today's age that's kind of like maybe a trend that not enough people are talking about? You're you're also a podcast host, so I also want to make sure that. We give that shout out to you. Are you hearing anything? Are you seeing anything as an expert in the field that we're not paying attention to? I think it goes back to what I said earlier, um, which is that, you know, uh, the trend I'm seeing and and we the other product that we have has to do with um, protecting large online media companies from uh, dangers that they incur through the programmatic advertising ecosystem. So. So one half of our customer base is companies like the Boston Globe and CBS Interactive, and then the other half are these D2C brands. And what I'm seeing in the media space is going to hit the rest of us very soon, which is, as I mentioned earlier, the need to develop um, what, what I like to call zero-party data. So uh, you know, we've many of us have relied on paid media for a very long time to drive business and to scale, and especially things like retargeting. Um, that's really going to get harder in the future as third-party cookies are deprecated um, and as privacy measures get rolled out across iOS, across you know other platforms. Um, and so preparing now for those changes and assuming they're coming, even though the timeline is a little bit murky, is critical. And if you look at the media business where they live and die by audience, um, what they're all doing is they're moving to these newsletter strategies where they're able to build up really robust email lists and they're mm -hmm. investing in very, very, very high quality content to drive regular readership through email newsletters. Um, I'm looking at that. I think that's something that any business in any industry can look at as a really good way to future-proof their ability to own their own audience and to, to be able to scale that way. That's awesome. So um, into the other side of the point I mentioned, you have a podcast. Uh, would love to hear like 
what it's about, where can we find you? What, like, how am I tuning in for the next episode? You, you said you had an episode today. Sure. So yeah, I've been uh, the host of a podcast called the Inbound Success Podcast for the last four years. I can hardly believe it's been that long. Um, <laughs> I published more than 200 episodes and it's all interviews with top performing marketers who are getting extraordinary results. And my whole goal with it in each episode is to really peel back the onion and uncover what it is they're doing that's getting them better results than, than the rest of us are getting so that we can leave people listening with really actionable takeaways. So if you're a marketer, I'd love it if you check it out and let me know what you think. And you can find that in all of your Apple or Spotify or your, your lovely podcast channels too. And Everywhere. Make sure you give her, give her a star, give her a rating um, as always too, but that's fantastic. That's so cool. Four years you've been doing that. That means that we're listening to an expert in the field. Uh, I, just the, the, I, it's so fascinating. Have you, maybe this is off the cuff question. Have you seen podcasting really take off as more people are consuming it? Is it because we're locked down or is it just because there's this new wave of amplified marketing? It's voice, it's conversation, it's stuff like this. Oh, I definitely think COVID accelerated it dramatically. I mean, I'm in a lot of, you know, Slack communities with marketers and the number of people saying I'm starting a podcast and I've had so many people reach out to me to ask me like, how are you doing it? And it's great. I think it's a great medium. I love it. I it's, it, this is so much fun to do. And I learn a lot when I interview people, which is part of what I love about it. Um, and I figure if I'm learning, then somebody else out there is too. So, um, I'm a big fan of listening to podcasts. I'm a big fan of, of hosting them. Um, and I definitely think, uh, it's a great way to learn and stay on top of your game. Has anyone ever surprised you that said, I was listening to this episode the other, like, Maybe yeah. celebrity or anything like someone you look up to. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing in the whole world is when you come across what I call like random acts of, of podcast guests. Um, <laughs> so I'll be at a conference or I'll be on LinkedIn and some random person who I have never met before will either come up to me in person or will send me a direct message and say, I just wanted to tell you how much I love your podcast. And I loved this particular episode. And it's really cool. You know this, like you sit behind the screen and you put your content out there and you don't know who's listening and you, you know, you see the data in the back end, And so, you know, there's people, you just don't know who they are. And when somebody reveals themselves to you, it's a, it's a wonderful relationship because you're meeting them for the first time, but it's like, they already know you, which is kind of a yes. cool thing. It, it's, it's shocking. Like, uh, it, it, to pat us on the back, I'll, I'll say a little bit is when people do approach you, it's like that shock value. Like you said, it's just me and you having a conversation across the internet. Whoever wants to lend their ears or eyes, this is what's amazing about this experience. But then also the people who want to like actively opt into it. It's almost like you're, you're winning their time. It's, it's passively winning over their ability to get their attention. Does that make sense? Like it's not the active yeah. sales calls. Like I know you're busy right now, but I need to talk to you instantaneously. It's, it's that conversational aspect of, what you're bringing to the to the industry is valuable in itself, but also the diversification and, you know, just the nature of how you present it to like, there's a lot of podcasts that suck. Like, let's be honest, they're yeah. out there. They, they stop for that reason. They're like, I don't know if anyone's listening or I don't have that the vision, but just be consistent. Know that you're going to have those rough botches, but you're going to have amazing conversations like we did today. So again, so Kathleen, true. thank you. Thank you so much for uh, stopping by uh, our corner of the internet. I like to call it. And, just chatting with me about one of my favorite topics, affiliate marketing, but also coupon codes and how we're going to innovate and grow in the world. How can we find you or connect with you and check out clean.io? Is it just, that is the website? 
Yeah. And so that's the, how website we reach out. Is, the website, the company name is clean.io. That is also our website. If you're interested in learning more about our e-commerce coupon extension blocker, it's called clean cart. We offer a 14 day free trial. So head to the website and you can request that. Um, and if you're interested in asking me a question, um, connect with me on LinkedIn. I see my my link is on the screen, but it, I'm pretty easy to find on there if you search Kathleen Booth and I do connect with anybody and I'll, I'm happy to answer your questions there. Amazing. Well, thank you so much again for spending the time and uh, lending uh, your expertise to our listeners. Um, I certainly learned a lot and I know a lot of our listeners did too, but thank you so much. Good luck on the rest of the podcasting and journey. I'll definitely be subscribing and uh, listening in as well. So thank you so much for hopping in uh, crossover conversation, Kathleen. Thanks, Ryan. It was a ton of fun. Awesome. And again, everyone else, thank you so much for hopping on Crossover Commerce today. We appreciate everyone if you're tuning in just for a few minutes or if you sat through our entire interview. Um, we will break this down into some great actionable takeaways on our channel. Again, thanks to our partners at Casted. Um, they, they allow us to push all the channels and then also break down audiograms and videograms. You can definitely check that out in the comments section in all of our episodes that we've published on audio format, but video format, we're catching up and you can find them on YouTube, but then they'll be broken down uh, with our friends over at Casted. So I just want to give them a quick shout out to, they've been fantastic to work with um, as well. But this is Crossover Commerce. This is episode 144. We talked about coupon extensions as well as how to protect yourself from negligent and uh, bad actors, but then also how to make coupon codes work for you and tools like clean.io are going to be able to help you out. Make sure you check out uh, Kathleen's podcast and then also follow her on LinkedIn as well. I'm Ryan Kramer. Again, this is my show, Crossover Commerce. We have episode five of the week coming tomorrow. Again, 145, it will be how to get regular local media coverage without spending a dime with Mickey Kennedy. You definitely want to check that out, but make sure you tune in again tomorrow. Click the notification bell, subscribe to our channels, and of course, rate us on podcast channels, wherever you might listen to a podcast. I'm Ryan Kramer. If I haven't told you enough already today, I appreciate your time, your, uh, your listening, and uh, we'll catch you guys next time. Take care.